It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is comedian Tom Cotter. He's the first comedian to ever reach the finals of NBC's America's Got Talent. He'll be performing in the Comedy Cellar at the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino through July 21st. For ticket information, go to Caesars.com. And for everything about Tom Cotter, go to TomCotter.com and follow him on Twitter at Tom Cotter Comic. And Tom, welcome to the show. Honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. Can you say Tom Cotter Comic three times real fast? Tom Cotter comic, Tom Cotter comic, Tom Cotter comic. Uh, I, 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 I was I lost on the second. One. I was just about to compliment you on being a pro, and oh, my hopes are dashed. Yeah. All right, and it's once okay. Again, I've disappointed. <laughs> so, how does a guy who ha- comes from a family of six kids and was raised in Providence, Rhode Island, and whose dad was a World War II Navy veteran and later became a neurosurgeon? How does a guy like that become and decide to become a comedian? Well, when you're the youngest of six kids, you do whatever you can to get noticed because you're kind of an afterthought. (laughs) Uh, I would uh, would act out and lash out just to get any kind of attention I could at that point because my parents had already been like, you know, five kids before me. Been there, done that, seen the T-shirt, et cetera. So uh, there there are photo albums full of my oldest sister for every step of her life. And I make a few cameos and some photo albums later on in life. So that's kind of how you are as the the, uh, sixth child. You're the afterthought, and you do anything you can to get on the radar. But, Tom, here's the thing. You could have decided, you know, I'm going to become a physician, a researcher, and I'm going to find the cure for cancer. My parents and my siblings will notice me. But you decided instead of that route or route, you're going to become a comedian. So there was clearly something in your DNA or as well as the family dynamic that, that pushed you in that direction? I, yeah, I just, you know, whenever I got people to laugh, it always felt good. It released my own endorphins as well as theirs. And so I always got a kick out of it. So in college, I entered a talent show um, and I was disqualified because I <laughs> made fun of the faculty and the administration and the fraternity. But uh, for the rest of the semester, I just kept getting high fives from all these students that I had no idea who I was before the talent show. And that just felt good. And so from there, I just went into a few open mics after college and I got bitten by the bug and I'm still infected. And what's interesting about your background is that you were entering a lot of contests and you were out there performing and you come across, especially on America's Got Talent, as a rather clean cut, nice guy. And yet there's something inherently subversive about you. <laughs> and I mean that in the nicest, that, I mean that in I'm the nicest way, Tom. Well, yes. Yeah, you know, in comedy, that's a pseudo compliment. I, I am subversive. <laughs> um, although it's harder now, I will say this, it's harder to be subversive or even a little bit edgy now in this current climate that we're in of political correctness and and Me Too and all these other things, which are great, nice part of our of our uh, culture. I think we're developing, and uh, that's uh, to be commended. However, it's really kind of tied our hands as comedians. There's such a we walk on such thin ice now that we have to watch every syllable that we utter 
and we have to be very careful about not offending anybody, which is not really what you want to be doing as a comedian. You're trying to go for laughs, not worried about people's feelings, but that's kind of where we are now. Do you think that will pass in time? In other words, are people overly sensitive due to the culture rather than inherent human nature? I don't know what it is. I've been, you know, racking my brain trying to figure this out, but Seinfeld famously wrote an op-ed to the New York Times saying he will never work another college again because, uh, you know, these kids show up at his shows with a chip on their shoulder waiting for you to to trigger them in some way, and then they go on social media and eviscerate the comedian. And if Seinfeld is pissing you off, then the rest of us don't stand a chance. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Squeaky clean. Yeah, So I just think we're in this weird phase, and I hope the pendulum swings back the other way, because right now it's, it's, I've never seen it this way before, where, uh, you know, comics have to walk on eggshells when they're on stage, and especially if you work at a a corporate event or, uh, let's say, a cruise ship where they want you Disney clean. Uh, th- those are all, you know, challenging more now than ever because of the current climate that we're in now. How do you balance that, Tom? Because if you look at some of the clips that I've seen about you, and I use that term again as a compliment, there are some subversive lines or observations. And I think the average audience member would laugh and not be, quote unquote, offended. But you do have, as you said, social media now where one person has a chip and it's not a microchip. It's a it's a, just a chip. And they go yeah. online and they, they find all the other people with chips and all of a sudden everybody's chips are into the pile. And then it's somewhat of a mob mentality where they go after you or go after somebody. That's the part that I find most intriguing uh, in a disturbing way is that people who are even at the show now hear through a third party that someone said something, and then they jump into the fray. So okay. now you're being, you know, you're being kind of cyber lynched, if you will, on on social media because, uh, you know, someone who is not even at the show has heard some word that triggered them. And why would you show up to a comedy club if you're going to be so hypersensitive that you're going to be that way? And luckily, the great clubs like the Cellar at the Rio, which is where I'm working, they don't restrict us in any way, shape, or form. But when I do a corporate event now, I have to do three conference calls beforehand because there's always some vice president or HR person that wants to get on the line to make sure they don't get fired for hiring me. That was never the case before. (laughs) Good point. So you actually have to, and there's nothing wrong with it, you have to tailor your material depending on the group or the organization or the event. Yes. Oh, yeah. You definitely customize it a little bit for your audience. AGT was tough because that was such a wide swath of humanity. That was little, little kids all the way up to their great-grandparents of every economic, social strata, race, creed, culture. So that was a wide swath. However, when I do a corporate event, clearly they want to hear things about being married in the corporate world. And when you do a college, they want to hear nothing about being married because they can't relate to that. (laughs) And they want to hear about the drunk roommate. And so, you know, you have to... Uh, you have to choose your material wisely when you assess your audience. I would imagine you can't even do drunk roommate jokes anymore because that would be uh, promoting alcoholism. There you go. There's another, you know, trigger word. Uh, yep. So, yep. Uh, you're, you're right. It's just a, it's a, it's a fascinating time right now for us as comedians. And I hope, again, the pendulum swings back and we get to some level of normalcy because it's just crazy right now the way it was. And it used to be the hard right that we have to worry about being offending, you know, because they were born-again Christians or whatever, they would be the ones who would be offended. Now it seems to be hard left. It seems to be college professors and, and people like that on these 
campuses that won't let certain people speak. Whereas when I was in school, you wanted some controversy because then you could have a discussion and, God forbid, learn something from it. But now it's just such a crazy time, I think, that we, we have to walk on such thin ice. Yeah, it's interesting because you're absolutely right about campuses. Uh, 20, 30 years ago, that's where free speech did blossom. And even if you go back to Mario Savio, and I'm really going back many decades, and the free speech movement in, in Berkeley, I think he'd be spinning, if he, if he is in a grave, he'd be spinning in that grave or, turning, or rolling over in his grave, seeing at where colleges are today. A lot of colleges, not all colleges. but You're right, not yeah. all. Let's not yeah. paint such a, with a wide brush here. But I know my college, I went to a school in Ohio, and the headmaster or the, the president of the college sent out an email to all the alumni saying, uh, you know, we, we're aware of what's going on at a lot of these college campuses, and don't worry, free speech is alive and well at Denison. So that warmed my heart. Absolutely. I'm going to give them a medal if I have one here somewhere. I'll, I'll look for one. Yeah. No, I, th- I, I think agree. that's great. Now, this is a totally left out of field or out of field, out of left field, I guess is what I'm trying to say in my own way. Question after our, I think, stellar discussion and profound discussion about free speech. And that is, <laughs> where did you meet your wife? Because she's a comedian as well. I did marry a comedian because who needs help in trance? It's way overrated. <laughs> and uh, we met in the Boston comedy scene. We were both Boston comics at the time, uh, kind of scratching and clawing our way up. Uh, I was started a little earlier than she because I'm a little older. So uh, we met. We had already dated comics, each of us, and vowed to ourselves that we would never date another comic. And we failed because we've been married 18 years as of June 30th. And uh, uh, unless she dumps me, I don't see it going anywhere in the near future we're uh, going anywhere bad i should say but it's great it's you know most comics marry civilians because they want the 401k and they want <laughs> health insurance and dental insurance and all that stuff right uh, but we we chose the road less traveled and so far knockwood it has worked out very well for us and she just did a showtime special called women of a certain age that just aired recently it's airing currently and so she's gotten a little pop in her career right now too so it's great and of course it's carrie louise it is Carrie Louise. Because we didn't mention her name, and I think it's only fair because she requested that I ask you about that and mentioned her several times during the conversation. <laughs> She's a great self-promoter. Isn't yes, she? yes. And she gave me 100 bucks, So it works out really well. <laughs> and here's the interesting thing, too, about it. You actually inadvertently talked about something also profound, which is the inherent craziness, not just of show business, but the world of stand-up comedy and the people that inhabit that. Many of them are fellow neurotics, and I, I put myself in that category as a neurotic, but there are also just people that are very strange. And yes, they may date each other, but the idea of a stable relationship with a fellow comedian is not necessarily going to work. So what you guys decided to do instead of the 401k, you seem to have opted for mutual insecurity. Oh, absolutely. Tears of a clown, and they flow in our house. Yes. But it's- <laughs> It's nice to have someone in the field that you can sit down at the breakfast table and talk about the exact same thing, whereas a comic who married someone who's, you know, in, in IT at IBM, they don't, you can't really share your work experience as much, I would say. We bounce things off each other all the time, frying pans, elbows, etc. <laughs> it works out well for us. You don't bounce the kids, though, right? There's three of them. No, we, three that we know of. Yes, exactly. Well... Okay, I, I didn't want to tell you this, but with Carrie and me, okay, you know, you now have four. Oh, really? Yes, this just came out. <laughs> you know, I've heard this, this story a million times from comedians. I was on tour in Florida. I went to a strip club one night, and then I get a phone call 12 years later. 
that I'm a daddy. So I know that happens. <laughs> not, it has not happened to me yet. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> One thing I noticed about you in your performance, and I mentioned the term, again, as a positive thing, subversive, and to some degree politically incorrect, and, and the challenges now that you face with that. But another element of yours, or of your stable of talent, I guess, is, you, and it's very subtle in many cases because of the rhythm of it, and that is you really enjoy wordplay. No, I do. I love it. Yeah, yeah and it's I, not, I, I think, watching that. yeah, I think it's not as obvious. If they see you perform, Tom Cotter, they, I don't think they, a lot of people will pick up on the fact that it's specifically wordplay because of your rhythm and you just, it's very funny and you keep moving along. But there, I've noticed that you have that moving, that wordplay that you move and you just, it, you, you clearly enjoy that part of it. I love that part of it. And it's kind of a puzzle, uh, my, the way I write my material, which makes it even more challenging. But I grew up watching George Carlin, who was a master at wordplay, and uh, he's secretly sneaking his albums into my house because if my parents knew I was listening to that filth, they would have grounded <laughs> me. So we, we would literally listen to it. On a, this is, I'm showing my age, but it was a record player up on the third floor of our house with a blanket over us. Like a of silence from Get Smart. And, uh, we would just howl and laugh, my friends and I, and get sweaty under the blanket, but just laugh. And I could recite the album cover to cover. Um, the one that, um, uh, what was it? Indecent Exposure was the one that I, I remembered most of his. Uh, but I just love that style. And I love innuendo and double entendre and just this misdirection uh, with puns. And uh, just it, it's very silly at times. I remember the comic strip uh, manager who's no longer with us, Lucian Holt, said to me, uh, I got off stage and he said, you did seven minutes of material and I counted like 24 puns. And he said, that's just too much. And I said, that's not enough. <laughs> I just love that stuff. So it's, it's what I like, it may annoy the audience sometimes, but I just love it. I love having... Uh, and as you say before, kind of a mischievous undertone where with the double entendre that it's a clean joke unless you interpret it dirty. And right, then that's right. on you and not on me. And with your speed, before they can even focus on it too much, you're on to the next interesting line. So That's more of a, of a product of my ADD, but you're absolutely right. And it's a Boston style. There are a lot of comics out of Boston that do this rapid-fire misdirection that uh, is kind of what I define my act as. And there's a gentleman named Don Gavin, and your listeners, if they're bored, should Google him at some point. Don's actually, been, yeah, Don's been on the show, actually. Uh, Don is phenomenal. He's like my hero, and I just love watching his style because he does it with an accent, a Boston accent, and an attitude that is uniquely his own, and it's just brilliant. It's hysterical. And he was the guy I emulated when I first started working in the Boston comedy market. So, uh, you know, he's uh, he's my goal, kind of. So could we trademark that rapid-fire misdirection? Sure, let's do it. All right. Let's get the domain name. Okay, yes, that's even better. Let's take a break. My guest, comedian Tom Cotter, that's C-O-T-T-E-R for those who may not know how to spell. He'll be performing in the Comedy Cellar at the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino through July 21st. For ticket information, go to Caesars.com. And for everything about Tom Cotter, go to TomCotter.com and follow him on Twitter at TomCotterComic. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. 
Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with comedian Tom Cotter. He's the first comedian to ever reach the finals of NBC's America's Got Talent. He's performing in the Comedy Cellar at the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino through July 21st. For ticket information, go to Caesars.com. And for everything about Tom Cotter, go to TomCotter.com and follow him on Twitter at TomCotterComic. Do you like using Twitter and other forms of social media, Tom? It's interesting. It's a necessary evil in our business, I've found. There are great comics who don't have any social media exposure that do reasonably well on the road, filling seats. But I find that the guys who have mastered social media may not be quite as good at comedy, but are really good at marketing. And they're putting a lot of butts in seats and selling out shows. So I learned early on that it, we, it's something we have to do. So yes, I have a presence on Twitter and Instagram and obviously two pages on Facebook, a personal one and then the fan page. And it's just, you kind of have to do it now and we all do it. And if you look at it as a, a good way to, to work with it, so you don't feel it's a burden so much as a tool to get the word out about where you're going to be appearing and your next book, which I want to talk about your book in a moment, but whatever the subject is, you at least have a way of communicating with your audience. Yes, and it, you know, obviously it's worked well for the president. I will say my youngest child is 11 years old, and he, uh, he has kind of taken over my YouTube channel, and it has seen a marked uptick since he got involved. And he just rolls his eyes as he looks at my videos and says, Dad, come on, you moron. You know, he's not <laughs> supposed to have this here. Or you got to add this, and you have to update this. And uh, they, my, my children have a much firmer grasp on social media than I do, and they're constantly rolling in their eyes at both myself and my wife, <laughs> as you mentioned in the stand-up comic, uh, because we're, we're so old school that we're clueless in some of these realms. But uh, with their help, we've, we've definitely jacked it up, and I've got a fair amount of followers on Twitter, so I'm That's okay good. with it right and, now. And the price is right, too. You're right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an 11-year-old. How much can he get charge you? I mean, maybe a... I don't know, frozen food or... Uh, oh, I pay him for it, yeah. Oh, and, even uh, better. You know, oh, yeah, he's my social media guru. Excellent. So you wrote a book. I wanted to bring that up, too. Unless I'm incorrect, but it's called Bad Dad, A Guide to Pitiful Parenting? That is exactly what it is. And it is it your estimation that you're a bad dad, or is this your wife, Carrie, who not only <laughs> told you that you're a bad dad, but told me that you're a bad dad? I just have a sense that uh, the advice I'm giving is uh, not good advice, but uh, it's humorous advice. So <laughs> that, that's what, it's a collection of kind of one-liners and thoughts. The inspiration was Jack Handy. I don't know if you remember him. He did uh, the interstitials on, on Saturday Night Live for uh -huh. years called Deeper Thoughts. And that kind of always stuck in my head as a kid. And then I just compiled a billion of them because you write what you know. And right now I know parenting because I have three children. And so these are all things from, uh, you know, my father's treatment of me and my siblings and my treatment of my kids 
And if you're a devout Muslim or a born-again Christian, this is not the book for you. But uh, if you're not easily offended, you know that it's all said tongue-in-cheek, I think you'll get a lot of howls. And it can be devoured in uh, just a few movements if you put it next to your toilet, and it's that quick to read. And it's, uh, I, I promise it'll make the time fly by. Now, did you dare subject that book to have your kids read it? No. No. Oh, okay. God forbid. No. And my <laughs> wife came out with her book, which is called Mean Mommy, the same year. So that's a guarantee that our children will be in therapy at some point. Oh, yes, yes. Both yes. of our books came out at the same time. And hers is very funny. Hers is more of a, uh, a, a traditional novel, uh, whereas mine is uh, just silliness. Well, if you think about it, though, you, because you, you actually, you and your wife wrote books that are physical books, I doubt that any of your kids are going to actually see them. That is true. That is absolutely true. Unless it's on the web, we don't see it. Exactly. If it's not online, it doesn't exist. (laughs) It's a new generation. It is. I want to talk a little bit about your experience working not only at the Comedy Cellar, but in Las Vegas in particular. If you look back in terms of how many times you've been to Las Vegas, is it on one hand, two hands? I'm trying to get a sense of how many times you've been to Las Vegas, not necessarily at the Comedy Cellar per se, but visiting or performing. I've been coming for forever. I it, I used to do the uh, the Riviera, used to have the Riviera Comedy Club, and I used to do the Comedy Stop at the Trot, and I've done Brad Garrett's room, and I I think we went through all the casinos that we, I filmed a, we had a show, my wife and I had a show called Too Funny, Cotter and Louise, and it was about us being two touring comics with twins on the road, and uh, two of our episodes were filmed in Las Vegas, and this is back when the Golden Nugget was there and everything, so... Uh, yeah, and I won the Las Vegas Comedy Festival years and years ago. So I've been around for a long time, so I've done weeks and weeks at all these places. But the biggest exposure I had was at the end of America's Got Talent, we had to do the uh, what they called, the, I guess, the victory tour or whatever it was. It was all the finalists had to come, and we worked at the Palazzo next to the Venetian for four months, two months in the fall, late fall, and then they broke for a month for Christmas where they had a Christmas show in there, and then we came back for two months in the spring. And that was a long time to be away from the wife and kids. So I flew them out once, and the producers were nice and flew them out once. But that was uh, that was the only time that I was really missing home. I was really homesick. But other than that, it's usually been a week at a time, and I love coming out there. I mean, it's Vegas. you got to work Vegas. And I always have a blast. And when you, you're done with your show, sometimes you'll meet up with comics that are working in another show, and you'll all go out and have a drink. And it's kind of neat. It's a great camaraderie. Do your fellow comedians and comics look at you and your wife and think to themselves and express it to you that, gee, how is it they're able to be married and have kids and have a long-term relationship? How come I can't have that? Do you ever get that? <laughs> Sometimes comics are troubled people. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned that earlier. Alive and well, so yeah. you know, someone said dentists had the highest suicide rate. I beg to differ. Uh, you know, I, I would imagine comics are right up there with us because we're we're not normal people in general. So stable relationships are tough to come by. So the wife and I are very lucky in that regard. And what's funny is we used to say when we were dating, you know, we could make this work. We could get married. There are a lot of show business couples. Look at Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman and uh, Bruce Willis and Demi Moore and all these people that we looked up to for having these great stable relationships kept getting divorced when we were engaged. And, but we kept saying, let's, let's, let's 
you know, let's try this. And there are other comedy couples out there. We're an endangered species. There aren't many of us. And people do hearken back to the days of Lucy and Desi and Burns and Allen and Nichols and May. So they, they like that nostalgia and they like it when Carrie and I take the stage together, which we do on occasion. So, you know, we just, uh, I think love conquers all. If I, I'm sorry if that sounds too cheesy. but uh, No, I think we, that's great. We're very fond of each other. And it doesn't matter if we were plumbers or electricians or comedians. And so far it's been great. She's been a great partner. So when you're performing then at the Rio, at the Comedy Cellar, she's fixing the plumbing there? <laughs> she could. She's probably more handy than I am. But no, we, have a, we have a little cottage up on Cape Cod. That's where we park the wife and kids for the summer and we kind of take a, a, a respite. But I'm taking one week off of that vacation to go to Vegas because it's Vegas. In July, not ideal, but still, I love coming out there, and uh, I love working in the cellar. It's such a great room. It's one of the most prestigious comedy clubs to work in in New York City or Vegas. So uh, whenever I get a chance, I don't I don't uh, back down from it, and I'm excited to come out there. And it has a certain feel to it as well. It's an intimacy, I guess, uh, would be the term. Oh, yeah. In, in that sense. When you do perform, what do people expect of you, Tom? In other words, those that saw you on America's Got Talent, and we should point out that you're the first comedian ever to be a finalist on the show. So there are people that are coming to see you that first were exposed to you on America's Got Talent, and then there are other people who, who are coming because they like the comedy seller and they here's a list of comedians. When you talk to an audience, and it's a diverse audience because of that, are you structuring your material to be more broad-based, I guess, than specific? Well, it's a little edgier than it was on TV because we don't have standards and practices to, you know, the network doesn't have to worry about uh, every dotted I and cross T. Uh, so uh, you get to be a little more free-spirited at a comedy club, which is what I love, especially the seller. And then, yeah, I think people show up with certain expectations from primetime network television that may be a little different than what they see. But I'm not, I really have no message. You know, Dennis Miller is hard to the right and Bill Maher is hard to the left. And I'm right down the middle and I try not to piss people off. And I think they're coming to a comedy club to escape things like politics. And uh, I, of course, talk about politics. It's the big elephant in the room. But I kind of take a centrist view of politics and I try not to sway one way or the other because I don't. I, some comics, and God bless them, feel it's their job to bash you over the head with their politics or their feelings on certain things. And I'm just trying to make people laugh. My, my act has no socially redeeming value whatsoever other than to make you laugh. And uh, my badge of honor in that whole thing is that I cram a lot of material into a short amount of time because of that rapid-fire, misdirection, one-liner kind of style. And I love doing it. I love making people laugh. And it's been my, my job and my, uh, my life, my passion for 30 years. So that's what they can expect is that I will... Uh, I guarantee they will laugh. I will follow them back home and tickle them if I have to. <laughs> they will. You can follow them home and tickle them, but you're not going to. You're not going to give them their money back. No, no, no. there'll be no reimbursement. That's right. not up to me. That's up to the seller. Yeah. Laugh. <laughs> well, you could collect for them, or, or give it back for them, representing them. But I, that's not fair. Not not fair to you at all, Tom. And <laughs> thank you. You'll be my attorney in this negotiation. Absolutely. Well. I'm not officially officially an attorney, but I will act in that capacity if need be, just because I want to protect you and the club. So there, there you go. You. Absolutely. We should point out, too, because just as a callback, that the 33 and a third album that you 
we're listening to of George Carlin was made out of vinyl and was played on a record player with a needle. So that this is, archaeologists will find this out as they go through your career. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I try to explain to people that are in millennials, if you will, about record players and things like that, and uh, you know, their heads explode. You can't, you can't possibly explain. It's walking down memory lane for them. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a whole other world that is lost in the mist of time. Yeah, they roll their eyes into another state when you bring it up. So. <laughs> well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been comedian Tom Cotter. He's performing in the Comedy Cellar at the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino through July 21st. For ticket information, go to Caesars.com. And for everything about Tom Cotter, go to TomCotter.com and follow him on Twitter at TomCotterComic. And you can also... Go to his Facebook page and his Instagram. He's all over the place. And Tom, thanks for being on the show. I'm honored. Thank you for having me. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Hey, Las Vegas. Hey. Just to be